Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving holiday. I'm sure it was filled with the three Fs, food, family, and football. Lots of it over the weekend. We're going to talk college football later in the podcast about the coaching carousel that's been happening in college football. And obviously, we're going to ha- I'm going to have a lot of thoughts about that, but I wanted to bring on a guest, a sports economist from Washington University in St. Louis to help me uncover it and unpack it in kind of a cerebral way, if we could. I know there's a lot of reaction out there. But as always, we are going to do some other things first. I'll get to my rants. We are presented, as always, by DraftKings. And I want to get to a couple rants before we get to our guest. First rant is on baseball. We are now in the last day before there's a potential lockout. And what's interesting about baseball is a couple things. We have a lot of activity before the quote-unquote lockout. Again, recording this on Wednesday, December 1st, there's a deadline of tonight to get a CBA done. I don't see that happening. And there is a reports and there are statements from Major League Baseball owners that there's going to be a lockout. Major League Baseball commissioner, rather, not owners. And lockout means it's a management tool to try to gain leverage in negotiations because it's much easier to negotiate, as NFL owners know this. When there is no CBA, when there is no money coming in, where there are no contracts, where there are no signings, then when there are signings. But in the run-up to this potential and projected and probable lockout, what we've seen in baseball is a spending spree, which is really interesting to note. Before this lockout goes into effect, where the owners want to reset economically and push the players deeper down in any way they can, they're out there spending. And obviously, the biggest moves are the ones I'll talk about here. Corey Seager to the Texas Rangers for $325 million. Now, when I say $325 million, that's not like Patrick Mahomes' contract. That's not like this is real. This is real money. And he's got an out after seven years. It's just an amazing deal, 10-year deal. Corey Seager from the L.A. Dodgers, now with the Texas Rangers. That's a massive deal. And they spent another $100 million or so on another player. The Rangers are in Dallas, and they are making a spending spree right now. Who else? New York Mets. New York Mets, $43.33 million a year for Max Scherzer. Everyone knows who Max Scherzer is, and he's a pitcher. But he's 37 years old. 37 years old. $43 million from the New York Mets. Obviously, he must have, unless they're terrible negotiators on the Mets side, had a big, big market for him. A lot of teams coming after Max Scherzer, even at this advanced age. So before what we all think, including me, a lockout goes into effect tonight at midnight, teams are spending. Even a small market team like Tampa Bay, on the player they did, $180 million over several years. I'm like, wow. Now, Tampa Bay spending is a lot different than the Mets and the Rangers spending. Tampa Bay is locking up a young player that hopefully will never reach free agency because once he does, he's not going to look for Tampa Bay to keep him. He's going to look for the Texases and the New York Mets and the Yankees and Red Sox and lot and Dodgers. So that's an interesting one as well. What's interesting about baseball, and I say this a lot, it's the only sport without a cap. 
And that sounds great for players, right? From the outside, you're like, wow, no cap, no spending limits. That's great. But too many people focus on the ceiling with the cap, not the floor. So with the ceiling and the cap, yeah, there's no ceiling. Teams can spend liberally, but there's no floor when you have a cap. So what happens is teams like Pittsburgh and Kansas City and, and others are paying $45 million payrolls right now as they currently are situated. And I know we're before the season. They haven't assembled their full roster. But I saw a stat the other day where Max Scherzer alone, $43.3 million a year, is in the middle of like five teams' total payrolls. So when we have a, when we talk about a salary cap, or more importantly, the lack thereof in baseball, what we're really talking about is lack of floor. And so I think people need to know that about baseball. That's my rant on baseball. By the time you hear this, we'll probably be in a lockout or soon to be in one. But before we got to one, teams like the Mets and even the Rays, as well as the Rangers, of course, spent like drunken sailors. Okay, before we get to our special guest, guys, work attire has changed. You don't have to wear stuffy, uncomfortable clothes anymore. Cuts Clothing is reimagined work clothes by elevating the classic t-shirt to something you can wear any occasion. Everyone loves, loves Cuts Clothing. I do. Elite athletes, entrepreneurs, it's all good. It has this buttery, soft, custom-engineered material that's just good for anywhere. You want to go through the office. You want to go out for a dinner at night. It cuts through it all, cuts, <laughs> combines versatility and style. You look great for any occasion. So Cuts has your holiday shopping covered with a ton of new products, special site-exclusive offers every day in December, plus get 15% off site-wide site at cutsclothing.com slash BOS. That's for business of sports. That's cutsclothing.com slash BOS. Get 15% off, plus can't miss daily deals through December. What a crazy week in college sports and the business of college sports, the law of college sports just exploding on the scene. It just seems like it happens so fast. We have Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma to USC. We have Brian Kelly, Notre Dame to LSU in, in almost the snap of the finger. And now as we sit here on Wednesday, December 1st, it's over. Like they're gone. They bounced. And I have some thoughts about it. I wanted to bring in Patrick Risch from Washington University in St. Louis. He and I have been on shows and, and it's just something that I want to get a different perspective. So Patrick, thanks for joining. And I just sort of open it up. Your first reaction to this bouncing, as I say, of these major college football coaches this week. Well, apart from the shock of seeing these moves, and thanks for having me on, Andrew. I actually put a positive spin on this. You know, we're living in an era now where the student athletes are gaining more and more uh, power. And so if you see moves like this and the way that they happened, in particular in the case of, of uh, Brian Kelly, then I almost think this has to further embolden and empower student athletes wait a minute, you're telling me I can't move? You're telling me I can't do this nil deal? Uh-uh-uh. No, no, no. Because look at what our coaches are doing. So I don't know if that kind of mentality will have a positive impact on what the student athletes can do going forward. But I sit here, Andrew, and I wonder what can actually be done. Because the NCAA, if they don't have teeth in nil, they're certainly not going to have teeth in this. 
the high school football recruiting cycle is what it is. And I've talked to some of my own student athletes here at WashU, obviously a different caliber of college football at Division Three, but the recruiting cycle is still the same in terms of the timing of it. So how do you get around it? Um, I think the main thing you've got to do is in the language of these contracts, that if something like this happens, that there is some kind of give back the coach back to the university. But other than that, I think it's got to be up to the schools and the coaches and their agents. Uh, the NCAA is not going to be able to come in and resolve anything here, to, to my way of thinking. I mean, is it is it as simple as contract negotiations? Because what you suggest, it's gone the other way, right? Where college coaches have this extraordinary amount of leverage not even talking about leaving like happened this week, where we saw in the past two months these situations like Ed Orgeron and LSU and others where they're being paid so much to leave. <laughs> like we talk about contract negotiations from the now, again, you and I are both at universities on that side of the table right now. But these universities are giving away all the leverage to these coaches. Is it just in the name of the getting the best coach and whatever it takes? Well, I have two thoughts when, I, when you talk about that. And it certainly has been a very tumultuous fall semester on, yeah. on the gridiron. But my two thoughts are, first of all, uh, the alumni. I mean, the alumni are bailing the athletic directors out and the universities out because in many cases, it's the alumni base that's saying, we'll pay for this. We'll gladly pay to see this coach go away. So if the alumni are going to do that, then what are we supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, God love these people. If they've got enough, you know, what's that line from Ted Lasso? It must be nice to burn cash. <laughs> you know, if they can throw that money away to get rid of a coach, then more power to them. Uh, the other thing I would say, Andrew, is didn't we just have a pandemic? <laughs> I mean, didn't we just have a, a situation here where a lot of schools were, were claiming that their finances were severely challenged and having to furlough people and this, that and the other. And yet they have been able to miraculously find the money to not only pay off some coaches, but give extensions to coaches at Penn State, Michigan State, and now these big deals at USC and at LSU. So uh, it, it also, when we talk about in my sports business class about some of the accounting yeah. that goes on in college athletics, this gives people an even greater reason to be suspicious when schools report, oh, well, we're, we're having a terrible time financially. Yeah, when you mention alumni, I mean, the other word that is used so often about this is boosters. And you know, we use nil for people who don't know, that's name image likeness, NIL, and that's the new way that athletes can make money. But as the rules for every university, every conference, and eventually the NSA will get around to this, it can't come from the school, right? So now we have players are getting monies from third party endorsers, but this is like what you just said, the lines are pretty blurry, right? So if an alum, slash booster is saying to college quarterback or college point guard, come to my son's birthday party for $150,000 or come to my friend's auto shop and sign autographs for $50,000. No, I mean, how do you, how do you, the NCAA threw up their hands on this, right? And they, they really did. How do you police this? And where's college? I guess the bigger question is what, what we saw this week with the coaches NIL, 
I mean, I'm in a university. We have 24 sports. One makes money, our men's basketball team. So you, you, you put that against this image of this, this massive money machine in college football at the big time levels. And I guess I'm in a long-winded way of saying, where are we in college sports right now? Well, it is the wild, wild west. It really, really feels that way. And, and you know, when you go back to the, you know, we've, we've seen coaches do things like this before. This isn't, this isn't necessarily an unprecedented move that a coach is moving in this kind of fashion. It, it just feels like at the recency bias, the fact that Notre Dame, we heard Gary Barta last night talking about how there is a chance that because of a coach not being there, this could impact whether or not Notre Dame gets voted into the Final Four. Yeah. Um, so, so, so you go from being the all-time winningest coach at one of the storied programs in college football to maybe being a pariah uh, because of this incident. But going back to the name and likeness, Andrew, um, it is really a, a dichotomy uh, of two different groups. On the one hand, we just finished my last article we covered in class today was talking about Paige Buchers, the uh, young woman from the University of Connecticut signing this deal with Gatorade. And what a wonderful story that is. And it, and it amplifies something that many people have said, which is that name, image and likeness will be a wonderful thing in particular for female athletes, many of whom their earning potential after college is limited. Right. So you've got a lot of these cool stories. You're seeing, you know, some of the the, the historically uh, black colleges, some of them doing some group deals, getting some individual. There's a lot of positive stories coming out of this, but the potential for shadiness, uh, especially in the big revenue sports, has grown exponentially. Because what what are the standards going to be? The way it seems right now, because Congress isn't stepping in. To, to grant one overarching rule, the NCAA has shown its impotence in doing the same. It's been left up to the schools and the conferences. But our schools, it's kind of a great example of, uh, in economics, game theory. So we're all going to kind of set the bar here. But then when one set of schools lowers the, the, lowers the bar some to allow them to get some students, everyone else is going to then lower the bar to allow the kinds of you know, examples that you just gave of giving somebody, you know, a couple hundred grand to show up at a birthday party. And so that's the that's the ugly side of name, image and likeness. I choose to focus on, you know, we, we yeah, we have to deal with that. I don't know how it gets dealt with unless there's a national legislation. But I, I want to focus on the positive, And that is all these other Olympic sports, so to speak. Nil has been a wonderful thing for uh, for many athletes, again, including women athletes. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you because I think the narrative, and maybe I was even part of this narrative in June, was that name, name image likes to be great, but it's going to be a just tiny slice, the college quarterbacks, the star basketball players. But it's been anything but that. However, the money is not a lot. Now, I guess if you're a college kid, any money's great, right? A few hundred bucks for shouting out on Instagram and getting some product is great. But I think what we're seeing as six months in or five months in is a lot of deals we didn't expect for, like you said, women's athletes, minor sports, non-revenue sports, but the money obviously slanted towards the big name sports. And, and Andrew, just real quick statistic. Yeah. I may be getting my number a little bit off, but we had uh, Jim Cavalli, who's the head of Influencer, which is a real yeah. player in this nil space. And Jim's a good guy uh, originally from the Syracuse area, which is close to where I'm from. 
But Jim cited a number saying that right now the average nil deal is about $1,500 annually. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, again, a relatively small number. And that captures the fact that a lot of these deals are with, you know, the 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 Olympic athlete and not necessarily the cash cow athletes, but obviously the cash cow athletes, they're making a large percentage of the overall pie. So I guess the question is when we see the, the Riley and, and which is obviously the, the topical news this week, Riley bolting for USC and Kelly bolting for LSU. I guess, you know, I talked about this this morning. Um, is it just for people who are shocked and, and shaming them and tis, tisking, you know, how you dare you do that to your athletes? Are they just naive? Like, we've been here. This, this is big-time sports, and whether you call it college sports or pro sports, it's, it's the business of sports. And are we being too judgmental about our hunter? I'm sorry, about, our, uh, about the coaches of Oklahoma and, and – Notre Dame going for better opportunities. I think there is a degree of naivete and I liken it to here in St. Louis after we just won a huge settlement against the NFL. I feel a lot of St. Louis citizens who are upset about the amount of damages awarded, many of whom wanted a larger amount. I think that's a naive perspective. The reason why these moves are happening when they are happening is entirely due to the cyclical nature of when these universities have to recruit the high school football players. Unless schools and conferences agree to some kind of moratorium of you cannot recruit between November 15th and January 15th. If they somehow agree to that, (laughs) that would be the only thing I can think of that would prevent these kinds of moves because then that's the only reason these guys are moving. If you don't go now, which is end of November, early December, that four to six week window when all the other schools are out there trying to recruit the guys that you want, what if you lose those guys? You want to start at the new school and make the loudest sound and, 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 and all guns blaring And obviously we see in Lincoln Riley's case, one of the quarterbacks that was going to go to Oklahoma, he decommits and then commits to USC. So that doesn't happen necessarily if there's a delay. So unfortunately, it is an ugly side of the business. And I think unless there's a moratorium, the only other way you address it is you put something in the language of those contracts that identifies large penalties against the coach or paybacks if you do leave before the end of the season. Yeah, and then then you're back to the leverage equation, which is what coach with a lot of opportunities and upside in his career is going to agree to that, right? Because unless they're at, pick a name, Alabama, right? Unless they're at the pinnacle, and even what's shocking to me is that Brian Kelly did not see Notre Dame, Notre Dame, as the pinnacle. He actually saw it as a stepping stone to a school like LSU, Well, in fairness to Brian Kelly, though, we'll say this, that before he took that job, they had really fallen down the pedestal. So the fact that he's been able to, to some degree, resurrect the the quality, the the brand equity at Notre Dame football, I think it's going to be broad shoulders. If it's Luke Fickle uh, that some people are, are suggesting or one of their defensive coordinators at Notre Dame that some people have suggested, 
they've got a lot of water to carry because Brian Kelly, however you feel about him today, certainly did help reestablish Notre Dame as a legitimate brand on the national scale. So to wrap this, we've got coaches moving, obviously, with these incredible packages. I mean, if you read some of that Lincoln Riley contract details, I'm a former agent, Patrick, and I don't know if I would even ask for any of that. You know, like, do you even ask for them to pay off your homes in Norman, Oklahoma, and get you the new home in L.A., in addition to all the money and all the, the actual the salaries and everything? But anyway, players are getting more rights in NIL, of course. But there's obviously not equity. Now, I guess the question becomes, I guess, fast forward five, ten years, do we have two systems of college sports, which is something I've kind of hinted at for a while, which is one system where the NCAA governs for 95% of what is now college sports. You know, the D2, the D3, all the D1 programs beyond, beyond top college football and top college basketball, and then something else for the power five, some, not the NCAA, just some in between pro and college governance. Do you see something like that happening? I mean, how far can this go in a quote unquote amateur sports status? Andrew, I think it could happen sooner than five years. If it doesn't happen, I won't be surprised. But if it happens sooner than five years, I won't be surprised because it is such a different beast, as you mentioned. Um, what does the NCAA really do well? The one thing that they do well is hosting championships yeah. and administrating these championships. We'll put aside, uh, as an exception to that, of course, this weight room disparity that, <laughs> that was highlighted last year by uh, one of the Oregon women's basketball players. Right. But aside from that, I think most people feel that that is, that is their main service that they provide. So that is the main service that's required for all these Olympic sports at the Division One level and then all of the Division Two, Division Three. Uh, that being said, I, I do think and see the day where there is a separation of state, if you will, because college football and college basketball, for various reasons, are just a different animal. And whether or not women's basketball would be part of that college basketball world would be interesting to see. So I could see them maybe also branching off with men's basketball and just being one large college basketball group. But uh, I do see that day coming. If, if it doesn't happen, again, I won't be terribly surprised. Yeah, yeah. But if it happens sooner than five years, I wouldn't be surprised. Because right now, if there's ever a time to make change when the NCAA is in a weakened position, it's now. Um, and as a side note, less important and less juicy, but I also think being at a Division three school and being in Division three athletics most of my life, that uh, I could see a split there because there is such a disparity between the top D3 programs and the and the rest. So we could see a Division four at some point. Last, Last question, question on the um, college side. NIL, we've talked about it throughout this conversation. Why do you think, you know, I have my opinions, but I want to hear from you. The NCAA, after putting a working group together for two years and seeing these statutes go into effect July 1, why do you think they, they cowed? Why do you think they just pulled away and let the schools handle it, let the conferences handle it, stay away? Like they totally abdicated responsibility with the NCAA. And now, as you said, so well, we're in this Wild West because of it. 
Why do you think they backed off? Well, first of all, I think it, it's it shows their ineptitude when it comes to certain kinds of enforcement and legislation. This is a real fail on their part. I think they totally underestimated the resolve of states. Yes. California was the first state, remember? And at one point, I, Andrew, I want to say this was in the summer of 2020, the NCA was threatening all the California schools that if you go through with this, wow. yeah. you're not going to be able to compete in NCA championships. Well, California said, forget you. When they moved forward, that was the, the that signaled the tone for other states, Florida, Michigan, Texas. And at that point, the NCAA realized, boy, we're, we're in over our heads. Let's form this committee to go ahead and try to put something together. But again, I think the mindset there is so uh, uh, old fashioned that they just couldn't think creatively enough. I don't think they wanted to go that extra mile. And then when we approached July 1 of 2021, they just realized, OK, we're not getting Congress's help. We're not going to be able to put something in place that everyone's going to follow. Not every state has legalized it. So let's and give them at least credit for this, letting the schools and the conferences in the interim make the decisions on their own. But, but I, as, as wise as I think that is for right now, given the circumstances, it can lead to, as we said earlier, some shenanigans and shadiness, uh, certainly in the, in the uh, cash cow sports of football and basketball. I want to ask Patrick about the St. Louis lawsuit that is now settled between the NFL. But before we do, first a word from Visa. Overcome the odds, rewriting the playbook, delivering under pressure. The MVPs of small business lead their teams to victory all year long. Visa is proud to provide playmakers everywhere with more tools to help grow their business, help them achieve even greater success. Because the more people we can empower, the more we all win. Visa a network working for everyone. I'd be remiss to not get your thoughts as a St. Louis resident, Wash University, prestigious university in St. Louis. You're there. The uh, opinion, the settlement just came down between the city of St. Louis and the NFL for the damages award of $790 million settlement. So there will be no jury trial in St. Louis in January, as we expected earlier, between the NFL and the city. Obviously, a biased jury, would, which would have been against the big, bad NFL that took their team away. Uh, what are your thoughts? And what are your thoughts in talking around to your neighbors, colleagues, friends, peers in St. Louis? So many thoughts. Uh, you know, first of all, I would tell you that I think that this was a good outcome for the city of St. Louis. And I, I feel that way for my own reasons. But in the in the very near aftermath, within 48 hours, I had a chance to speak with not only Bob Wallace, who I know you know Bob is a, a former general counsel of the St. Louis Rams, yeah. and also talked with Dave Peacock, who not only used to be the president of Anheuser-Busch, but was also part of a committee that put together a new stadium proposal that, quite frankly, if they didn't put that together back in 2014, 2015, we not, may, not, may not have seen the award that ultimately was awarded to St. Louis because there was a viable option that was, was essentially ignored. Um, so I feel good about it. And talking to those people, one with a legal background like yourself, one with just obviously shrewd business acumen and, and Mr. Peacock, they both felt that the, the, the importance of having the certainty of a number and a sizable number, an unprecedented number, as you know, 
This has never happened in the sports industry before at this at this magnitude. So I think it was a it was a victory for St. Louis. Now you could also argue it's a victory for Stan Kroenke and the NFL because they put it to bed. They're not going to have their signature game, the Super Bowl, at SoFi being smeared by a uh, a trial that undoubtedly would have further smeared the reputations uh, and embarrassed people like uh, Stan Kroenke, Kevin Demoff, and, and others within the Rams organization and at the NFL or other teams. What I'm hearing locally in the aftermath of the report, I did a lot of local media, as you can imagine, the, the day that this was announced, uh, many of the local stations here were polling local fans. And I guess not surprisingly, local fans are going to be emotional. And since there were some reports out there, people talking about billions of dollars, people talking about the possibility of a, of a franchise promise somewhere down the road, the fact that it didn't get to the billions, the fact that there wasn't a promise of a franchise, it got some people, uh, uh, they felt that the $790 million was too little. But everyone that I try to talk to when I, when I talk about this locally, I say, you've got to have perspective on this. I know it's hard to when you're a local, but... In the history of sports business, this is an unprecedented victory for a city over a league, a league that historically doesn't lose these kinds of cases. So um, it's an uphill battle <laughs> to try to tell a local St. Louisan right now to feel good about this. But everyone that I've talked to, uh, and one last point, one of my friends locally who teaches sports law for us here in the sports business program at WashU, he had posted a blog, which I'll, I'll share with you. Uh, but I think he probably, he, he speaks your language, the, uh, the, the language of litigation. And he also agreed that, boy, you're taking a huge risk if this goes to trial and God forbid there's an appeal and it goes 10 years and then you get nothing or maybe far less. I think that's a risk that was not worth taking. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I liken it a little bit to the NFL concussion litigation, where the number was similar, you know, about eight hundred million, but it, it is uncapped, so it could go into the billions. But ten years of litigation, right, for thousands of plaintiffs and depositions and questioning whether they were really demented from football or so many other things, possibilities. And in this case, yeah, burden the hand. And I, I think you make the good point that. People are like, ah, the NFL, 790, you know, they make 10 billion, 12, 15 billion a year, but it's a big number. And the one thing that skews the number, as I'm sure you've seen, is 250, 270 million to the attorneys. That's so, good so, so here's an interesting point on that. And, and I know that you've worked enough in law that you've probably dealt with your share of expert witnesses and you yourself have probably been an expert witness oh, yeah. or two. So I, you know, I was actually approached in the fall of 2020 to be an expert witness on the side of the city of St. Louis in this case. And I declined in part because uh, quite frankly, you know, I was, I didn't want my students or our alums if the case obviously was a very public case and if my involvement in the case and especially on the side of St. Louis became public, I didn't want my current students or any alums that may want to work in the NFL or for the Rams. And, and maybe I shouldn't think that way. Maybe that was overly conservative on my part, but you just never know. And obviously there's a lot of vitriol right now. So I just didn't want my students or any of our alums to, to take a hit because I decided to get involved in this case. But I joke with my students, 
you know, expert fees usually are not based on percentages of the winnings, but I would have taken 1% of those uh, lawyer fees. It's interesting. I'm doing one now. I, there, this is a case. I've had a couple of these where I've been approached by both sides. Like, can you be our expert? And usually for future earnings, players that got hurt, whatever may. Sometimes the management side will call, sometimes the player side. In a couple of cases, both called me. And I got to figure out which side I'm on. <laughs> And I'm just curious, and and my my sense, you know, you're in a different boat because people really know and respect you in the world of football. You have a lot of connections and relationships there. Have you ever felt like getting involved in one of these cases somehow down the road impacted a, a relationship or a friendship that you had? Yeah, well, I don't have a, you know, it's it's kind of it's a big question, Patrick, because I've often had conversations with people in the industry where and, and not so much on the expert side, but on the media side. Well, they'll say, so, Andrew, am I talking to you as friends, former colleagues, friends, or is this going in a column? Or right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. TV or radio right. <laughs> newsletter. Uh, so, yeah, I have to be careful of that on the on the expert witness side. It's more I did have hesitation for a while, like, okay, I don't want to do management. I don't want to do player. I don't want to get typecast. And then I did a management one and then I did a player one and then I did a management one and player. So like, I can't get typecast because yep. I it's do probably smart. Yeah. Um, Patrick, this has been great. I really appreciate your insights. I thought of you and got the note from you, from your people right away about uh, this sort of college I don't know what else to call it, this carousel. <laughs> and uh, and so I had my thoughts, but I wanted to bring you in. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being on the Business Sports Podcast, as always. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Patrick Risch of Washington University of St. Louis. Great insights on this issue of the week with college sports coaches bouncing and key insights from being in St. Louis as that settlement just happened. Different views from inside the city. It's good to have that. I want to give you a word from another of our sponsors, AutoZone. If you're looking to take care of your car batteries needs, there's no better place than the zone. Why? Because they're America's number one rated battery destination. That's why they're the only place that carries proven tough Duralast batteries. They've got extensive line of replacement batteries. Fit your specific needs based on your make and model. The replacement batteries start at just $79.99. Get your upgrade without breaking your wallet. With their free testing, you can get some reliable answers before you need to spend some serious cash on something you may actually not need. AutoZone, as you may know, has free battery charging as well. Simply need a charge. They'll be there. Need I say more? The proof is in the pudding. Next time you're in need of battery help, get your battery ready for some harsh winter weather. Start at AutoZone, America's number one battery destination. Get in the zone. AutoZone. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Grant. Thanks to my special guest, Patrick Risch. Thanks to my producer, Brian Neal, my musical producer. The music you hear from my son. Just had a great week with him, Sam Brandt. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt, Instagram, Andrew Brandt 2, Clubhouse, ADB719. The newsletter, of course, Sunday 7. Sign up at andrew-brandt.com. Apple Podcasts, rankings, and comments. Always appreciate it. Have a great week, and I'll see you next week with another edition the Business of Sports with Andrew Bell. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. 
That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.